Um, last Sunday was beautiful as Mafa spoke to us about movement and marching. Uh, the word to march out is a word that God gave us um, as eldership. In February, we went to the Midlands. Uh, we were in the mountains praying. And uh, we were in this beautiful place, just you know, having a retreat. That March and people will begin to unramp. And what God was really saying is don't wait for circumstances to, to be favorable towards what you are doing. And I think, I think 2022 is that, is a, reflects that testimony. The testimony of faith um, that something happens. God honors every time he honors faith. When people march out, don't wait for circumstances. You actually create circumstances. You don't wait for circumstances to agree with you. You create circumstances. So Martha, last Sunday was speaking to us about movement and was speaking to us about, speaking to us about, about marching out and marching in the things of God. Um, I love the word movement. The Bible does warn us about drifting. And the thing about movement and drifting is that they look similar. Isn't that, isn't that right? If you saw something drifting, whether it was an object on water or a ship, uh, in, those ca- in those days they were sailing uh, a ship. They, you know, it was way before the fourth industrial revolution. And they were using wind and harnessing wind to facilitate movement. Uh, the Bible warns us against drifting, which does look like movement, but drifting is movement that is driven by circumstances. I happen to go through such and such, and so therefore I am such and such. Uh, we are warned by the word of God against that. Movement is intentional. Movement is, is, is I engage with God, I transact with God, and it moves me into new realities. Drifting is circumstances happened a certain way around my life. And so I'm moving, but it's not intentional. And, you know, we've lived through the pandemic, we've lived through these very unique times. There's been lots of circumstances around us. And people have been moved by circumstances. And we don't want that. God doesn't want drift, drifting. He wants movement. Movement is intentional. I think that word was very, very critical for us, uh, LSA. We, we are in October. We are like two and a half months before we conclude in the festive heat. Who, who's waiting for the festive season? <laughs> Who wants to party? And I want to encourage us to really think about the gains of 2022 and to allow the Lord to steer us for 2023. Uh, that's that's, that's going to be mo- very, very important as we reflect on the fact that we've been moving in 2022, we've been marching, but we are not drifting, which means we are not being driven by the circumstances that are, are external. We are moving, which means we are driven by the voice of the Spirit of God. He is moving within us. The thing that I want to talk to you about today and um, is, is this whole issue of growing in the mission of God, growing as a people in the mission of God. Growing in the mission of God. Growing in God's mission. God calls a people and he calls us into salvation. He calls us to walk with Jesus and he gives us a mission, some mission. And God allocates missions to churches. Churches, all churches are different. We have universal burdens from the Lord. Because ultimately, until we all come to the unity of the faith and unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, there is that universality of church. 
and of churches moving towards a point of confluence. But if you read the seven churches of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, all those were different churches. If you read uh, Paul's letters to churches, whether it was Corinth or Thessalonica or, or, or Galatia, there were different churches with different issues, with different emphases. Um, and this church, Living Stones Agency, also has to grow in the mission of God. We have to grow in the mission of God. And in, in this post-pandemic environment, we've got to have a testimony. And I want to start us off in Psalm 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 19. Psalm chapter 18, verse 19. That we're growing in the mission of God. We're called to grow in the mission of God. The mission of God must transform us. The mission of God is not a bunch of activities. The mission of God is first and foremost formative. It deals with you and I. It deals with our hearts. It deals with our lives. It deals with our friendships. It deals with our marriages. Uh, we are a testimony before we testify. If we testify without bearing a testimony, then that is light and that carries no weight in the spirit. The demons won't respect us. We can do stuff and achieve some stuff, but the demons won't respect us. Remember the sons of Sceva in Acts uh, they, 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 they were preaching and they did miracles for a while until one day a demon confronted them. Jesus we know, Paul we've heard about, but who are you? Which means that we've got to bear a testimony ourselves. And in the mission of God, when God puts a mission in people's, in people's hearts, that mission must transform you and I first and foremost. And so this scripture in Psalm 18 verse 19 must be our testimony, LSA post pandemic. He also brought me out into a broad place. It delivered me. He delighted in me. Psalm chapter 18 is a very, very interesting chapter. You know, I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter at home. But I'm just reading verse 19. He brought me out into a broad place. I want us to be feeling, if we're not already feeling, a sense that we're in a broad place in the mission of God, in kingdom life. There is a broadness. The mission of God is this broad place that he is launching us into. As Martha spoke to us about movement and marching, he brought me out. And in context, when the psalmist says he brought me out in, in verse 19, verse 18, he speaks about disaster, that he was in disaster. He was surrounded by enemies. He was in this place of constriction. And that word disaster then, verse 18, is a word that means a time of trouble when you are, you are in need of special help. A time of trouble. How many of us know about a time of trouble? Timing out of the pandemic. There's been times of trouble. But I want us to be feeling inside of this season that we're being brought by God into a broad place, which is what he's doing uh, as he facilitates movement and marching out. He's brought me into a broad place. I want that to be our post-pandemic testimony 10 months into 2022. I think the pandemic has left people weak and confused. We don't want to be weak, LSA. Uh, you know, and Isaiah 61 talks about those who sit in ashes will have a crown of beauty. Let this be a season when we're receiving a crown of beauty. Let this be a season when we're receiving the oil of gladness. You're coming out of the ashes, yeah? And I say we're coming out of mourning and we're stepping into a crown of beauty and oil of gladness. And I think I felt that 
we, t- we had a beautiful conversation with Vanessa last Sunday after the meeting. I felt like here is a woman who has come to a place where that we can call a crown of beauty and the oil of gladness. Coming out of the ashes, coming out of mourning into a crown of beauty, an environment called a crown of beauty, this broad place that God has, you know, is, is bringing us into as, as we grow in the mission of God. Because we've seen that there are those who are weak and confused, and we don't want to be weak and confused. And, um, and those who are confused, you know, sometimes when you are confused, you think the world around you is confused. When you are shaken, you think that the world around you is shaking. And God can make us to, be, to believe a lie. He, we, he can send a strong spirit of delusion, darkness, so that we believe a lie. And sometimes when we are shaking and shaken, we think the world around us is shaking. When actually we need to be focusing on ourselves. Yeah. So I want us to be experiencing an environment called the crown of beauty, the oil of gladness, this broad place that God is bringing us into. And the broad place is the mission of the kingdom. It is kingdom life. It is regaining principles like community. The idea that I am not journeying alone, I am called to journey with the people of God, together with the people of God, towards something in God. That there is a goal. The word goal is a biblical word. You know, The word to finish means there is, a, there is a mark that God has put for you. There is a goal. And there is a mark that God has put for you and I. We need to reach that mark. And so I want us to muse upon and reflect upon this idea of growing in the mission of God. That the people must grow in the mission of God. And as we start this off, I want to remind us that we have a heritage of faith. When we go back to the word of God, there is a heritage of faith. Remember the man of Abraham? When we think of Abraham, we think faith. You think a man called by God out of a, a place and being launched into a future by God. He has a condition. He has a limitation. He has a constriction. And that is the fact that his wife is barren and is hoping for a baby. Is going to every gynecologist there is in town to try and fix this issue that they have because he has a deep desire inside of his heart. But actually, that desire is linked to the promise of God. That desire goes beyond just the fact that he has a family that wants to grow and expand. But actually, God has spoken, I will give you a son. And so that desire is actually born of the Spirit. And so we have a heritage, and he has to believe God for a number of years. And I love, I'm, I'm, you know, when I was reading this Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 about Abraham. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old. How old? 99. I can ask you. Anybody who's 99 here? <laughs> Anybody who's 80? 75? How old was Abraham? The Lord appeared to him. He's still interacting with God. If you think you had problems, if you think you're growing old, think about, rethink that. How old was he? 99. I'm half that age. If I thought I was growing, then I have to rethink that. I mean, if I thought I had problems. No, you know, old people think they have problems. 
in Kritam, the next thing, the next line is a problem. He was 99 years old. The Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. This man is still receiving a demand of God upon his life. I will confirm my covenant between me and you. And God is saying, I mean, this is like 20 plus years later. I will. <laughs> it's like, God, come on. We've got to put this to finality now. I will confirm a covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I mean, it's like I'm 99 years old. If I had a chance to have a baby, that chance is limiting and it's getting limited day by day. Just my physiology is now starting to work against me. The circumstances do not look like I can be a father. 99 years. And it says in Genesis 21, verses 1 to 2, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. How would you like to conceive a baby, a couple, 99 years old? Hmm? Deal with nappies and stuff. And sleepless nights. 99 years old. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you thought you had a problem, and we had issues and, and challenges, man, look at this couple, Abraham and Sarah. And God gives them a baby. And like, well, God, it would have been better to receive the baby maybe 20 years earlier. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't it be better? Still physically maybe stronger? 99. It's like, God, why, why, why do we have to do it like that? God works in his own ways. This is a heritage of faith. There's a mentality here. That age will not overcome me. I'm going to grow strong and strong in the mission of God. I can be 99, I can still, I'm still hearing the voice of God. God is still appearing. My mind is still sharp. I'm still hearing, hearing the voice of God. I am as clarified as I was when I was 75, when I started the journey out of the land of Uf. I am clarified. I know I, I, I'm hearing the voice of God. That's the heritage that I want to impart to you, LSA. So, we have all these couples in the Word of God who are dealing with barrenness. Again, dealing with our heritage of faith. And who have to start off a journey with God. But before they can start off, or the condition for them to start off the journey with God is that they must deal with their barrenness first. Abraham and Sarah is one such couple, right? We've, read, we've just read about them. Remember Isaac and Rebecca? Uh-huh. And interesting, the babies that get, get, get born out of. And if you think of these babies as God's initiative, as, 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 as God's movement inside of the lives of these people. So Abraham and Sarah dealing with these gynecological you know, issues out of which Isaac comes. Isaac and Rebekah finds himself in the same situation dealing with, oh, we don't have a baby. And, you know... These people pray, they believe in God, and Jacob comes out of that situation. Then we have Jacob and Rachel. The thing seems like it's, it's running through the line. Jacob and Rachel, Rachel cannot conceive, and she's crying before the Lord, who comes? Joseph comes. You know, I could ask that LSC, there's LSC question that. Who comes? Joseph. Don't tell me Daniel. <laughs> 
Joseph comes. <laughs> and Joseph was basically a type of Jesus. He was a savior of his time. It's a very, very significant initiative of God. Then we have Elkanah and Hannah. Remember? Who comes out of that barrenness situation? Samuel, the prophet. A massive, massive prophet. A massive gift who is released by God in a time of, 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 of drought, of spiritual drought, and where there was no revelation. Then we have this guy called Manoah. We are not even told the name of his wife. So I put here, we don't have the projector to our unnamed wife. Manoah and his unnamed, Mrs. Unnamed. And some of these women are powerful. They are the ones that initiate the process, that engage with God, that, that want the things of God. And out of Manoah and un, this, his unnamed wife, Samson comes. I know Samson, Samson becomes the, the, the redeemer inside of a time when Israel was under an, op- an oppression. Then we're told about the Shunammite woman. Remember the Shunammite woman? Second Kings chapter 4. At Elisha, uh, this woman negotiates with God literally. You can go back to the word of God and read these stories. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 21. Isaac and Rebekah, Genesis 25. Uh, Jacob and Rachel, Genesis chapter 30. Elkanah and Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Manoah and his unnamed wife, Judges chapter 13. Samson comes. And Samson is a very, very complicated character, of course. But he, he, he becomes the redeemer inside of his time. Then we have the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4 who negotiates. She is barren. She is a well-known woman. She negotiates with, with God by offering to take care of the prophet, Elisha. She has this massive house. She prepares uh, the upstairs for Elisha. Each time Elisha was traveling and coming by her place, you know, that became the Airbnb for which he didn't have to pay. She's negotiating with God. And out of that, Elisha asked her, what can we do for you? Remember the holy shop, generosity. Remember the name, the, 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 the lady, Nidia, the, Lydia, the woman in Acts, and how she took care of Paul and, and, the, and the team. And the Shunammite is barren, and Elisha prays that she'll receive a, a child, and she does receive a boy. And then the drama unfolds, the boy dies. It's like, oh God, we've just received the boy. (laughs) Then one day the boy complains of headache and he he dies. And and this woman was radical. She goes to the prophet and she's greeted by Gehaz and like, what's going on? She says, all is good. (laughs) The first thing she does, she takes the body of the boy, keeps it in the, the same Airbnb where Elisha used to sleep. And she tells her husband, I'm going to see Elisha. And her husband, what? And I was reading through the story. It's like, <laughs> when your wife comes to you, I'm going to see another man. It's like, what, what? And he says, well, it's not Sabbath. It's not New Moon Festival. What's going on? And she says, I'm going. Prepare, prepare the car for me. If it was today, you'll be preparing a car. Fill the, fill the tank and I'm going. And, you know, the man, you know, retreats and allows her to go. And, and uh, Elisha eventually comes, and this is the whole story of Elisha. You know, he lies on top of the body and begins to pray, and the, and the boy sneezes, and he, he wakes up. 
You know, this is what the Bible is referring to in Hebrews 11. The women receive their dead. This is a woman of faith. But the story begins in barrenness. How about Zechariah and Elizabeth? In Luke chapter 1, remember, John the Baptist comes out of that. Interesting that out of these barrenness situations, we always have these significant babies come. John the Baptist comes out of that situation, you know. Uh, and of course, John the Baptist becomes a significant voice, um, preparing the way for Jesus, for the Christ. And um, uh, so that's in Luke chapter 1, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then, of course, we have the metaphoric woman, Isaiah chapter 54, remember? Oh, barren woman, which is us. That's the church. That's Zion. And God is telling us that the, the journey towards mission will always begin in the confrontation of barrenness. Barrenness is life refusing to bear fruit according to the word of the Lord. That's what barrenness is. Life refusing to bear fruit according to the word of the Lord. And these people, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Elkanah and Hannah, Manoah and his unnamed wife, the Shunammite woman and her husband, Zechariah and Elizabeth, all teach us as the metaphoric woman in the prophetic scriptures in Isaiah 54, that we've got to have faith to confront barrenness to start the journey towards the mission of God. Barrenness is life rebelling against the word of God. It is conditions simply saying we will not conform. We are simply not interested in what God is saying. Circumstance is refusing. You know, but you and I having to push through those circumstances because we believe the word of the Lord. We believe what God is saying. So we've got growing the mission of God begins with confronting what? Barrenness. But we are comforted by the fact that barrenness, when God confronts barrenness, oftentimes he releases something amazing. He releases a Samuel. He releases an Isaac, a, a Joseph. Um, these are babies that came out through prayer. Through prayer. They were not babies that came through just a natural process. Isaiah 46, verses 3 to 4. Isaiah 46, verses 3 to 4. Growing in the mission of God. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. We can say, listen to me, O LSA. All you who remain, all you who what? Remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since, you, since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he. The God is saying, I'm constant in your journey. I am the unchanging God in your journey. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever in your journey. I am he, he says, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I highlighted, if there was a project, you would see I highlighted, I will, I will, I will. I am he, I am he twice. I will, I will, I will uh, three times. Listen to me, O LSA. Isaiah 46, verses 3 to 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you, the other translation says, all you, all the remnant, the remnant in the word of God is a very significant principle. 
The remnant is what remains after a disaster. It is what remains after a crisis. That's what a remnant is. A remnant means there has been some disaster, and that disaster has taken some people. It is what remains. And this word is, is, is God speaking to the remnant. Is God speaking in the aftermath of some disaster? All you who are the remnant in the house of Jacob, or the house of, of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age. So God is all growing in the mission of God until you're old. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I don't change through circumstances of time. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is a very interesting verse. Isaiah 46 verses 3 to 4. Because God says, I carried you from the time of birth. He's really saying, I did not show up simply on the day of disaster. Now he's talking to the remnant, right? The remnant is what remains after disaster. And he says, I have carried you. And my carrying you did not begin with the pandemic or during the pandemic. He says, long before, at the time of your conception, I carried you. In fact, so he says, you are the remnant because I carried you. The thing that has allowed you and empowered you to be sustained and to remain is because I have carried you. And he says, I will continue to carry you. So God is saying to this remnant, you are here not because of your strength. You are here because I have carried you. And I did not begin to carry you during the disaster. I carried you from the time you were in the womb. Amen. From the time you were conceived inside of the things of God, my hand was already upon you. He says, I upheld you and I carried you. And then he promises. So if you look at that history, he says, based on that history, you can trust that I will. I will. I will. I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. Rescue means there's going to be future challenges. There's going to be things that will require the redemption of God in your life. But he's saying, I will rescue you. I will sustain you so that you don't have to depend upon your own strength. I will carry you so that you don't have to depend upon your own feet. Your mobility in the things of God is dependent completely upon the Holy Spirit. I will carry you. So your mobility is not influenced by circumstances around you. Your mobility is sustained by the things of God. God says, I carried you, LSA, from the time of birth. I did not only simply show up during the crisis. You are the remnant because I carried you. So what looks like survival is in fact the manifestation of predestination. That looks like, oh my God, it's like, shucks. who's around me? Who's near me? He's like, people have been taken away. Jesus says that, right, in Matthew 24. You know. He says, two will be lying on the bed and one will be taken away. So, you're dealing with, in the, in the end times, you're dealing with crisis hitting at very near you in, 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 a, in a very proximate way. <laughs> 
taking, taking that which is intimate, that which is around you. You're dealing with issues with your friends. You're dealing with issues around you. You're not dealing with television news. Two will be lying on bed, in bed and one will be taken away. One will be taken away. So what looks like survival is in fact the manifestation of predestination. Let's say that word predestination. predestination. Of course we know Romans chapter 8, basically, right? Romans 8, 28 to 30. Predestination. Beautiful word. Very, very doctrinal word. Romans 8 verses 28 to 30. And we know. And we know. Let's say, and we know. know. That in all things, in how many things? things. Now I want you to think about every situation that you're faced with right now. In all things. How many things? It didn't say something in some things. In all things, God works. Let's say God works. He works for the good. That word good means to benefit and to profit. But God can profit us out of a a disaster. He can profit us out of a crisis, out of a challenge, out of a a season that's been challenging. He can release a, a profit. He can account something profitable out of a, dis- a disaster. For he works for the good. He brings profit. He brings benefit of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he knew them beforehand. He also predestined. And the word predestined means to set limitations beforehand. It really means that in 2022, you feel the, the, the boundaries of God in your decision-making process. It's predestination in motion. You feel the sense of boundary. Yeah, maybe sometimes you want to go and confront somebody. You feel a, a boundary. Or maybe you want to take a, a crazy decision. You feel a boundary. It's like I'm not permitted it's predestination working around you. So God, that word predestination means it draws boundary lines long before you are born. He, for, he, he foreknew us. He, those God foreknew, he also predestined. He drew boundary lines around them to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Predestined to be conformed. And our conform means to, to be Jointly formed. It's a collective word. I think Mafa spoke last Sunday about the fact that there's a solo culture. We live in a solo culture. Everyone wants to, wants to go solo. That word conformed means a company being formed together. Jointly, collectively. To be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God is working in you and I and in us to be conformed. He's not working just a bunch of activities. He's working to be conformed to something, to an image of Jesus, to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, God is working and producing a community out of us, out of a people. He's not just producing a bunch of superheroes. Is producing a community. To be conformed. He predestined them not simply 
to go around and being Spider-Man. He predestined them to be conformed, to be, con- to be jointly formed. If that is in the word of God, Romans 8, 29, then you want to value that. The, the idea of being joined or being formed together with your brothers and sisters. You, don't want, you want less of, I was in my bedroom and I, yes, we all have bedrooms, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. And we all have encounters in our bedrooms. This Bible is not, this, this verse is not talking about your encounters in your bedrooms. There are other verses that may speak into that. But this verse is talking about a collective encounter. A people being formed in the image of Jesus together as a journey in the mission of God. That's what this word is talking about. And those he predestined, he also called. So we are called to be conformed. We live in a generation of activists. There is, a, there, is an, there is an unhealthy activist that has you know, entered the church where people f- focus on just a, a bunch of activities and lacking and, and, and diminishing the process of formation inside of their own heart. So the process of formation must work hand in hand with activities. Activities must work hand in hand with formation. We are predestined not to be activists. We are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Which means the activity of God inside of my life, inside of your life, is one of formation. He's forming on the inside of us. He's forming a man. He's forming a woman. He's forming a husband. He's forming a wife. He's forming a father. He's forming a mother. He's forming a citizen. He's forming something on the inside of us. And those he predestined, he also called. So, you know... When, when people talk about the idea of call, they think activity, the next thing they think. I want us to be thinking, LSA, when I say call, first and foremost, to be conformed. Mm-hmm. Called to be conformed. That's what this word is talking about. Predestined, called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. He glorified. Growing in the mission of God. You're growing in by the power of formation. Because if the church is not going to emphasize the power of formation, then there is no hope for the future. Because the world is full of activists. The world will always be full of activists. But in the church, there has to be a new emphasis on the power of formation. Second Corinthians 4 verse 16. Second Corinthians 4 verse 16. I'm reading the Passion Translation here. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. So, no wonder we don't give up. Yeah, let's say, we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is what? Is renewed every single day, it says here. So it's talking about a, a contrast, a, a tension between growing old physically but being renewed spiritually. The idea is that the more you grow, LSA, is the more renewed you should be. Growth should not come with spiritual fatigue. Yeah. 
As you grow every Sunday morning, you should be waking up and I'm looking forward to the meeting. I'm looking forward to raising up my hands together with the company of believers to worship Jesus. The more you grow. So now, no wonder we don't give up. Why don't we give up? In other words, it is because even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. There is a renewal that comes with growth. So in the kingdom of God, physiological growth for a believer must mean a more powerful inner man. A more powerful inner man. We're not growing into fatigue, but we're growing into renewal. Now that word renewal is an important word. That, that word renewal means qualitative newness. Here is what all people do. All people like newness. And it's not bad. Cosmetic newness is not bad. You know, sometimes if we want newness, what do we do? We paint, maybe we change the color of the, of the bedroom. We change the, 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 the you know, uh, we change the setup in the lounge. Maybe we change friends. We change church. We are looking for newness. That's cosmetic newness. This word is not talking about cosmetic newness. And sometimes we mistake cosmetic newness for inner newness. And so, you know, we change a spouse. We divorce because we're looking for newness. You know? The only thing we can't really substitute is the children. Because the children will always follow you. <laughs> you, you have no option to change to substitute the children <laughs> you can substitute the spouse and substitute friends and talk about old seasons and new seasons all really we're talking about is a, is a spiritual drought you're looking for something and because when you're looking for a new season it shouldn't be the problem of your friends Right? God imparted a season. And a season is imparted by the word of the Lord. Qualitative newness, not quantitative newness. It's not cosmetic newness that we're looking for. It's qualitative newness that we're looking for. And when we're not getting that, people become more and more, and more boring, yeah? You're bored now. The friends, the friends, you want new friends because you're bored. You want a, a new spouse because you're, you're bored. You want a new job because you're bored. You want a new city because you're bored. You want to move to a new region because you're bored. But really, your problem is you are like a Samar- Samaritan woman. You are looking to quench your thirst. And let me use all sorts of prophetic labels. And here's, here's, here's how you track this. Here's how you track this. If it's quantitative uh, newness, each time you move to a new environment, your old problems will always show up. So you move to a new spouse, a new friends, the same habits show up. Yeah? There's no inner renewal. There's just cosmetic renewal. And so what happens to us is that we grow up and... We get a job, and because we have money, we can afford cosmetic newness. 
You can change a car, you can change a job, you can change a whole bunch of things. But how about being renewed in your inner man as you grow? Growing in the mission of God must be a process of renewal, of inner renewal. We start this journey by confronting barrenness and then we allow the Lord to take us um, um, into, 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 into places of renewal, of inner renewal. Inner, how beautiful is that, is that verse? That word of God in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. So sometimes when we're looking for, I look for change. I'm looking for change. I'm bored. And uh, in, in the corporate world, what, word, what, 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 what language they use? I want to I grow. If you want to grow, why, why should that be a, someone, so, someone's problem? It's not a pastor's problem. If you want to grow, what must you do? Grow. And, and when, we, when you grow, we'll tell you that you're growing. So here's what, Paul, here's what Paul said to Timothy. Grow so that everybody may see the evidence of your growth. So growth is not your own idea. People must tell you that you're growing. And if you want to grow, just, just what? Grow. <laughs> Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. I'm reading this verse from the message translation. Talking about growing and growing old in the mission of God. Growing in the mission of God. Proverbs 4, verses 18 to 19. The ways of right living people. The ways of what kind of people? Right living people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. How amazing is that? The longer they live, the brighter they shine. I thought, I thought that when old people grow old, the lamp dims. <laughs> More problems. Bad decision making. Troublesome relationally. The ways of right living, people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. And then it says this in verse 19. But the road of wrongdoing gets darker and darker. You're making more and more bad decisions along the way. Travelers can't see a thing. They fall flat on their faces. Because it gets darker and darker. You're making bad decisions along the way. But the ways of right living people Glow with light. In other words, there is evidence in time. It's not about you, you know, telling the world that you're glowing. It's about 10 years telling us that you're glowing. 10 years from now. The ways of right living people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. I want that for myself. I want to I I shine brighter as I grow in the mission of God. I want to shine brighter. I want to make less bad decisions. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. Growing in the mission of God. The ways of right living people. Right living, not just anybody. Glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter 
They have to shine again. You don't have to tell us this. We can see. There's a glow there. There's a light there. And when there's light, you know, people will gather around that. As we grow in the mission of God, and let's say, part of growth in the mission of God is a, is a, is a renewed understanding of the importance of church. The importance of church in that mission of God. Growing in the mission of God must bring with it inside of my heart a renewed understanding, a renewed priority of church. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. God's intent. Ephesians 3 verse 10. His intent was it now through the church. Let's say through the church. church. Let's say that again. Through the church. So that's not through that's not through a group. Through the church. That's not through just me. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heaven, the realms. And Paul, of course, I love the book of Ephesians, because God Paul outlines the plan of God, the eternal plan of God to this church. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, when we talk about church, you know, all sorts of images can come up in our minds, right? I want, I want to read for you, Matthew chapter 18, to read in the mind of Jesus what was his idea of church. We know that there's Matthew 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church, right? But in Matthew 18, he says something interesting here from verses 15 to 17. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, who has been offended by a brother? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) You can raise it in your heart. (laughs) You can raise it before God. (laughs) It's it's interesting, Jesus, if if your brother is like, well, along the way, your brother is going to offend you. If your brother sins against you, he says, go and show him his fault. He doesn't say gossip about him. Right? He doesn't say write, on, write it on Facebook. Yeah. We, we know that Jesus was all knowing. He could have said, if, if Facebook was the solution, he would have said, write it on Facebook and tell the world. And people would say, like, 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 like. Like, like. I also have been offended. And you, you start building a community of offended people. They, they get you based on shared offense. I get you. You resonate. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. So almost like Jesus is saying, protect the, the process. Protect your brother. He says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. The matter is done. He says, you don't have to go and say, well, by the way, you don't know this. I actually went and talked to him because he did something to me and then, you know, we fixed it. It's not an issue now. (laughs) You're really gossiping now. If he listens to you, have won your brother over. In 16, verse 16. But if he will not listen, he says, escalate it. What must you do? And here's what he says. Take one or two others along, along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Then in verse 17, if he, re- he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
which means whatever has been going on you know, prior to that is just individuals and groups interacting. So Jesus says there's you trying to solve things with your brother, then there's you maybe getting a few believers to go and fix things, and then there is church. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, at that point in time, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Another way of saying that is that person is um, expelled from the church. Because he doesn't, he will not conform themselves to the authority of the church. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. So there's you trying to do things. There's you trying to do things with a few others. And then there's the church. Of course, when we study the New Testament scriptures, church has to be, has to be a community of people in active fellowship, organized by the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit in kingdom life and mission, and operating under biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is that there is elders called by God to govern over that particular community. So Jesus, in Jesus' mind, we have to distinguish between a group and a church. A community of people in active fellowship, that's what church is, organized by the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit in kingdom life and mission, and operating under biblical leadership. So in Jesus' mind, a few people live meeting in some coffee shop. It's not church. But he does not necessarily say, well, you can't do that. Because actually, there are stages, right? If your brother offends you, you go and approach your brother, deal with the issue. If you want to listen, bring a group, deal with the issue. If you want to listen, take it to the church. When he says take it to the church, merely take it to the elders of the church. I want us LSA to be emphasizing as we grow in the mission of God. Part of the evidence and the sign of growing the mission of God is a renewed emphasis of church. And I want to be very clear about church. I'm not talking about some, some group meeting in a coffee shop. I am talking about a properly constituted community under the call of God with biblical leadership over that. I'm not our peers meeting and talking about the word of God, which is not, not to be done. Yeah? We can do that, of course, and we must do that. But there is that, and then there is church. Through the church. So if we read Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church. So now we have an idea when we say through the church, we are, we are not to be thinking about some coffee shop group. Because there's lots of groups these days. And there's nothing wrong with groups. As long as they don't replace in our minds church. Yeah? They can't replace church. Church is something else. Through the church. You know, through the church. Let's say that phrase again. Through the church. So as you grow in the mission of God, we've got to have a renewed emphasis in our hearts about through the church. And, and I think in my, in my view, if you wanted to clarify what Jesus meant by the church, go and read Matthew Chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. What we've just read. Jesus makes a distinction between just groups trying to do something and church. You know, we, we see Paul and Barnabas going ordaining elders in churches. Because a properly constituted church must have eldership leadership. You know, elders called by God 
to administer and to govern over their community. But there's the Holy Spirit, there's everything. Now we can't say, well, I have the Holy Spirit, so I don't need leadership. No, that's not biblical. Show me a scripture that supports that. We can't say, well, I have the word of God, so I don't need to go to church to be taught. That's not biblical. There's all sorts of funny ideas post-pandemic. And I say, I want to warn you against these things. Because the people growing the mission of God must show the evidence of that growth. Now, through the church. Now, through the church. And church is a properly constituted community with biblical government. What happens with groups is that we meet because we all, we all have been offended by something. Because people, especially offended people, can, can see each other. I can see, I have my <laughs> I can see, <laughs> I can identify that offense in there. I have the same. And so we form a, a, a powerful community. And then we like each other's posts. You know all the politics of Facebook. It's all, it's a congregation of the offended. It's what the Bible calls a congregation of the dead. You know? In church, we don't relate on, basis of, on, on the basis of sentiment, on the basis of truth. We will speak the truth to you whether you like it or not. If you mess up, we'll call you and tell you that you've messed up. If you need to be rebuked publicly, we will do that. If you don't like it, then you have to go and find a group. In a group, that will never happen. I can guarantee you that. Because there's the unspoken covenants. But if you want God, I mean, you, you, you've got to follow the process of God. Growing in the mission of God. Growing in the mission of God. And we have a picture in the word of God of Israel having to grow in the mission of God. They do fail. But they were really being called by God to grow in the mission of God. And they're in Egypt suffering, being persecuted, as a bunch of slaves being ill-treated in Egypt. And God's plan was to deliver them from Egyptian oppression with his mighty power. Because we know that deliverance came with mighty power. But it was not to end there. It was also to establish them as a model community bearing a testimony, being a testimony of orderly kingdom life. A testimony of orderly kingdom life before other communities. So God's plan was clear, is that we're going to deliver these people from Egypt, Egyptian uh, oppression and we're going to send the powerful Moses with his power gifts. There's going to be great manifestations in the form of plagues until Pharaoh gives in. But it's not to end there. The goal is to establish these people as a model community bearing a testimony of orderly kingdom life to other communities. Were they delivered powerfully with mighty power from Egypt? Yes. But they failed in being established as a model community, bearing a testimony. Ellis said it's easy to be delivered by God and to witness in the process power manifestations. That's what people gravitate towards. I'm not speaking against it. But if that is not coupled with the need to be established as a model community bearing a testimony of orderly kingdom life to other communities, then I have a big problem with that process. 
Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, God outlines the plan. This was supposed to be the destination of these people. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, talk about growing in the mission of God. What is that progression looking like? What is the projection looking like? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Paul, God is saying obey, right? Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? This was always the mission. It wasn't just to witness power manifestation confronting Pharaoh, but it was to become a model community along the way. Now, the problem is that these people failed. They celebrated the power manifestations. They failed in becoming a model community because they failed in obeying the word of the Lord. From deliverance to kingdom humanity was always the plan of God. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 to 16. In Exodus 13, verses 14 to 16. The plan of God is again outlined through the nation of Israel. Exodus 13, verses 14 to 16. In days to come, when your son asks you, in days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first made offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. What is God saying? Things that begin as mighty works of power must end as a pattern of community. And he says the future is not another parting of the Red Sea. The future is life around the table, sitting as a family, talking to your sons and to your daughters. He says the future I'm leading you to is not the future of revival as you saw in, 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 in the parting of the Red Sea. <coughs> now the problem with this is that we have a church that is looking for the Red Sea experience. Yeah? instead of looking for sitting with sons and daughters around the table, imparting the things of God. So here's what we do. You know, the first generation here, if you are like 25 and above or 30 and above, you got saved old in most cases, bruised already by the world, having suffered some sin and darkness in your life. And God might have, have to, may have had to demonstrate some power to pull you out of sin. Now, you have the same idea of a future revival for your sons and daughters. That's a problem. So, what does that mean? Does it mean that your sons and daughters must fall into sin again? And the cycle, must, the cycle of brokenness 
So what was God's intervention to break the cycle of righteousness, of, of, of brokenness? Out of that, we have to pull and establish a pattern of righteousness that is sustainable. Sustainable. So the future is kingdom humanity, in other words. The future is not Red Sea revival. The future is kingdom humanity. It's life around the table. It's imparting the things of God to That's God's idea. We can keep on getting it wrong, but that's God's idea. Does not mean that you know, there won't be more people getting saved into the kingdom of God. And there's all people like our age out there still you know, in the world. But for us who have been saved, we become a testimony. We can't be praying, God, give us the Red Sea experience again. No, we don't need the Red Sea experience when there is no Pharaoh. The need for the Red Sea experience is oppression in Egypt. When you're in the promised land, you need a table. You need life. You need to be raising your sons and daughters and establishing them in in the ways of God. We need to be mastering the ability to impart to the next generation. The church needs to be bearing a testimony of generational succession. The communities must be seeing, wow, there is a possibility for a community to be established. And to be able to impart the things of God from one generation to another. That's what, that's the testimony we should be carrying. We're not waiting. When your son asks you, go, do you understand that statement? When your son asks you, inside of the mind of God, there are assumptions. There are certain assumptions. If Robert got saved at 22, Robert can't be dreaming of a Malusi falling to sin and then needing a revival at 30. That's wrong. That's not biblical. I should be, we should be raising them up. In the world. That's the ordained order. Mm. We're not waiting for a generation to fall into sin to have to need a revival. But we're waiting for life established. Men, women, marriages, life established, like Mafa said last Sunday. We're waiting for a, a people that can break the statistical pattern that when Stats SA conducts a research in your neighborhood you break the pattern that's a testimony in this now through the church the manifold wisdom of God must be expressed before the authorities in the principalities in the spirit realm when your son asks you what's simply the revival of mighty works there will always be history. You know, you study church history. God will always have, have you know, revival of mighty works somewhere. But the future is one of kingdom humanity, of manhood, womanhood, marriages, families, community, citizenship. Most of us, our generation, in fact, that statement that Mafa said, Nomzamo speaking to her mom about. The brokenness I went through because I was not raised a certain way in the context of the kingdom of God. The next generation cannot sit you down 
one day and have to tell you that. If the next generation gets saved by mighty works and stuff happens and fireworks, but have to sit you down and tell you that we have failed. We have failed. Then we have failed. We have failed. So we cannot frame a prophetic promise based on our own issues of brokenness and we were once slaves in Egypt. And so God sent us a Red Sea revival. There is no need for a Red Sea revival because there is no Red Sea. But when I establish communities that are able to pass on principles from one generation to another. What does Paul say to Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Church is an orderly community. There's a thing these days about, oh yeah, church is not in the buildings and let's go to the streets. I get the streets. But church is an orderly community ordained by God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in what? In God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And yes, we have to go to corners to get people saved, but they must be brought back to the house of God, not meaning this physical structure, a community, a properly constituted community where they live under biblical leadership. These things are becoming important for us to clarify. Because we live in, a, in, a, in, a, in an age of confusion. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves. So people say, oh, there's a generation that is a street generation. They don't know. They don't want to come to community. What kind of a thing is that? First Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Even the street people must come to community. There's no exemption. Must come to community. They must come and be taught how to conduct themselves in the house of God. Mm. How to walk in community. How to walk in proper friendships. How to live under accountability. Well, we're not about to, you know, build some, you know, street church. We'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Here's what happens in Acts. In chapter 2, you have a mighty street revival, which is great. And please, I am not discounting revival and evangelism. Great revival, 3,000 people get saved. But what happens in Acts chapter 6? The same 3,000 people are discriminating against one another. There's racism in the church. In Acts chapter 2, we have a great revival, right? Great people, people, 3,000 plus people get saved. Acts chapter 6, the same group of people are discriminating one another. What is lacking here? Building. How to conduct yourself in the house of God. If you took those people and had sustained them in the streets, they were having a great revival. They will be racist to one another forever. If that happens and that perpetuates, there is no testimony. That's a failed mission. And so Jerusalem church becomes this weak church 
It's a failed mission. And God has to find Antioch to establish a, a proper co- co- community in which there is diversity and community. Illustrates the point. You can have a great revival and 3,000 people can be saved by racism alongside that. What deals with that problem is building orderly communities. So if you use the same illustration as in the early church in Acts 2, in the great revival, but in Acts 6, racism, what happened with Israel is that, is that um, they left Egypt with great power and manifestation. But in the desert, in the promised land, they failed as a nation. What happened? Was anything established? No. That's why we're here today. Nothing was established. It was a failed mission. But did Moses show great power? Oh, yeah. There were plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. What did it amount to? What did it amount to? No legacy. We don't want to be them today. Hmm. With the Red Sea, with the plagues, with the power, we don't want to be them today. And we are not supposed to be them today. It was a failed mission. There was no power to bear testi- to be a testimony before other nations. In the same way in Acts chapter 2, great revival. And yes, that was great. The Spirit of God was moving. And you have chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. They are discriminating against one another on the basis of food. And that's the church. Building was lacking there. So I want to submit to you and say we're not waiting for a Red Sea revival. We're waiting for established community in the promised land. But God will continue to revive and to save, to evangelize. History, you just have to study church history to understand that. He's always done this, he will always do this. But we are waiting for a kingdom humanity. That's the promise. What are we waiting for? Ephesians 5, 27. And to present it to himself as a radiant church, a glorious church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. The clock of the Spirit does not move until you have a, a glorious church. What are we waiting for? Ephesians 4, verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're waiting for. Mm. We're waiting for a people, a collective, that can incarnate Jesus collectively. We're waiting for an adorned bride, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. That's our cry. That's what we grieve for. That's, what, that's our groaning. You know, but we might ask the same questions. What are nations waiting for? Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And establish Zion that teaches nations the ways of God. Yeah? yeah? 
Oh yeah, that's the testimony, that's the perspective of nations now, of humanity. They're waiting for an established Zion that teaches. And when I say Zion, I mean the body of Jesus Christ. But we might ask the same question from the perspective of creation. What is creation waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. So no matter how you look at this, there is a, there is a destination point. <laughs> Nations are waiting for a community that, Deben is groaning for a community of people that is living under biblical leadership. They can teach Deben how to walk in the ways of God. Creation is waiting, not for activists, but for the sons of God. For a sonship, a maturity in the things of God. That's what we're waiting for. So the progression, as we see in Israel, was power deliverance, established community is the future. You can't keep repeating power deliverance. But does not mean that there would not be people, pockets of people in regions that don't need power deliverance. What's what God waiting for in you? A formation, a renewal, inner renewal. God is waiting for Kiara to be a woman, fully established woman, mature in the things of God, incarnating Jesus through her life. Living this body, earthly life by faith manifesting something that is not here. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the plan of God. Mm. And I thought I would articulate that lest we be confused in this confused age. Mm. Mm. We need to clarify and, and affirm the, not just what is our little thing that we like, but what is the plan according to the word of God. What is the plan according to the, to the word of God? That's what God wants to build. And yes, we'll continue to testify, and, but first and foremost, we must be a testimony. Yeah. If your life is falling apart, if your marriage is falling apart, if your family is falling apart, if you can't raise your sons and daughters, then you have no testimony. Does it mean I can't evangelize? Yes, you might. But he, those people that you evangelize must actually come and see something. Do you know there's a greater cost when people get saved and come to church and find nonsense? Actually, sometimes it's better to leave people than leave them alone. There's a greater cost. Because actually, there is a generation of people that are angry at church because of what they have seen. Broken. People can't be friends. Just basic stuff. I mean, you can't tell me. Unsaved people holding friendships and believers can't walk in friendship. And they call it a new season. What kind of a new season is that? Of testimonies falling short. If you can't have young you know, couples, Carl and Courtney, growing in marriage, being built and being established, then our testimony is falling, is falling short. Amen. Amen. So we are firm, and you know the Bible talks about confession. What is our confession? You know, 
you know, sometimes with a charismatic understanding of confession, I, I, I confess a car. But a confession is the affirmation of what I believe. And yes, we can, we can pray, and I don't deny, you know, the other part of, but really, but the Bible, talk, Bible talks of, we have a confession. It, it means I, I articulate from time to time the things I believe. I declare them. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that for my own mind and for my own heart. And this is what this is. This is what this exercise is. Amen. Amen.